Welcome to episode 10 of the 18th Shadow Radio. This is your author and narrator, John Lee Grafton. The 18th Shadow, Phase 1, Dawn of the Courtesan, Chapter 1.10, The Prophet of War. Dorothy spun in her chair and looked at Joan. The dolphin's tail was moving slightly faster under the increased data load. Her pectoral fins gyrated back and forth smoothly to compensate, keeping the temporal lobes of her head in precise balance between the aquarium's cetacean electroencephalogram terminals. The dolphin's eyes were closed. I have to remember she's an animal. Am I an animal? How you doing back there, Joan? Dorothy Nichols Angevine. Your combat is reporting a 19% rise in adrenal gland cortisol saturation. You are experiencing psychological stress. Please be aware it is well within my capacity to process this volume of data. Your concern is noted. At this juncture, however, I will recommend that you return to your interface console. AK-9 Civ dogs units will engage feral targets on County Hub Road 1500 adjacent to Anderson Corn in 20 seconds. 19, 18, 17. Dorothy twisted back to the screen array and reoriented the drone's camera to focus on the various converging elements in the field. From the wide-angle 3D perspective, she could now see the small, boxy Ford Mustang being rendered at the perimeter of the holomap. Only one headlight was functioning. The vehicle was floating so fast that its prop fans threw up clouds of gravel dust from the hoveway shoulders, flowing behind it like an airplane's contrail. At this perspective, the black bodies of their Rottweilers were invisible, only their vidorbs represented by eight minuscule blips of red light. The dogs' units had reached the road. Siegfried, the most advanced model, was running six meters in front of Freya, who followed at a close second, clocking 146 kilometers an hour. At a steadily growing distance, the identical twins, Snotra and Lofen, galloped side by side at their lesser maximum velocity of 120 kilometers an hour. Dax, Hugo, and William were all in the solar mule, rolling far behind on slow, old-fashioned wheels. Dorothy locked the aft cam on the Kawasaki's IPv7, then returned pad control to the drone's primary nose lens. She increased magnification. The silver hub car was now easy to see. Two Douglas County Sheriff's A7 combat drones had their searchlights fixed on it, one flying in front, one behind, the units obviously being controlled by a human hand. The drone driver was attempting to blind the Mustang's pilot. She quickly typed a citizen ID request into the tangible holokeys. An image of the operator's face appeared on the lower right monitor, accompanied by the following text. Tara A. Dean. Wanted. Federal BMOD fugitive. Vehicular arson. Cyberterrorism. This holograph was paired with a running string of data that Dorothy didn't have time to examine. Her brow furrowed with concern. The coyote pack was still invisible. Why can't I see them? She magnified the grid where they should be by an additional 50%. Nothing. The clouds parted, moonlight softly illuminating the winter lands. She magnified again, 90%. This time she drew in a breath and held it. There they were, terrifying-looking creatures, all but one running with blackened eyes. She zoomed out. The coyotes would intercept the Mustang before the dogs' units arrived. They had not been represented on the wide-angle hologram because only the single blue vidorb of Coyote One was eerily illuminated. She led the other seventeen cyborgs behind her in a silent, focused charge. They galloped blind, single file behind their packmaster. 
The small gray paws of each coyote unit landed lightly, one after the other in the exact spot where the cyborg before it had stepped. This left a trail that even to an experienced hunter would look like the course of a single animal. Dorothy maximized her drone's hollow view of Coyote One. The small cyborg's jowls were flared with menace. Her bioskin coat was ripped in spots along her legs and head. Some of the wounds were roughly scabbed, others bled openly. Dark synth blood stains mottled her heathered fur. Why aren't they healing? Joan's voice filled the calm. Coyote Pack will impact Hovcar KS4137 in five, four, three, two. Dorothy shifted focus, constraining the high-resolution map to a 40-meter perspective over the impending crash. All at once, the eyes of every coyote illuminated, and they broke single-file formation. The main body of the pack held back, while the four lead cyborgs leapt the irrigation ditch at the edge of the hoverroad and charged the Mustang. Each impacting animal contorted into a tight ball in the final second before collision. Simultaneously, three explosions of light erupted on the far side of the hovecar. Rear A-7 law enforcement drone has fired Faraday projectiles, said Joan flatly. The electrical dampening micro-torpedoes disabled the Mustang's port stabilization fans, causing it to careen sharply left, minimizing the coyote's impact. Instead of ripping through the aluminum door panel, the animals tumbled across the asphalt, the weakened effect of their momentum pushing the hovering Mustang into a mid-air flip. So many different events converged in the 120-second span of time following the crash that Dorothy couldn't possibly track them all. Many times over the coming days, they would replay the holovid, analyzing each moment in high definition. The Ford Mustang GT auto-ejected its operator, encasing her body in an emergency collision sphere that launched airborne as the roof supports exploded and the vehicle toppled end over end like a skipping stone across the adjacent cornfield. Showers of sparks illuminated the blackness. The primary lev fans sucked up basketball-sized chunks of plowed earth, flinging them high into the night as the Mustang's crumpled roof slammed down onto the shoulder, landing on one of the coyotes, crushing a rear leg. The entire pack howled an alarm. The collision sphere itself bounced and bounced and bounced. It rolled erratically down the asphalt into the fields north of the hoveway. Purple Tree Farms property, thought Dorothy. The fourteen coyotes who had not attacked the vehicle itself intently pursued the collision sphere. They yipped with excitement as it bounced a dozen more times, tossing clouds of dust and finally coming to a halt hundreds of meters away in a shallow ravine. Four spotlights emanating from the A-7 sheriff's drones tracked the sphere in the crushed shape of the Mustang itself. The unmanned aircraft circled to a stable hover. Once stabilized, Swarms of botulinum darts whistled from launch ports along the drone bellies, harmlessly sticking in the external skin of the collision sphere. Still functioning on automated response, what moron is flying those bots? Several darts were also directed at the coyote's unregistered fusion signatures. The glass tubes of neurotoxin shattered on their anvil-hard bodies. Some of the diamond-tipped injection needles remained, dangling like the tops of broken wine bottles in the cyborg's ragged gray bioskin. The coyotes paid the sheriff's drones no heed. Their intent was focused on the collision sphere. The first to arrive at its resting place began clawing at the lightweight, puncture-resistant fabric made from microweave plastisilk. As the animal became excited, the others yipped in chorus. 
Dorothy watched as they ripped chunks of the pliable material with their mouths and tried to spit it out, pawing frenetically at their teeth. The collision sphere was kept semi-rigid by an expanding elastiframe endoskeleton. Each section of frame contained millions of fibrous strands that had to be systematically ripped apart before the pilot would be exposed. The first coyote had already gotten a quarter of its body embedded in the sphere, but the progress was slow. Regardless, within a few minutes, the animals would be through the last layer of pillowed fabric. The unconscious pilot inside would be torn to shreds. Why, why, why? Coyote One turned her muzzle to the sky and suddenly sniffed the wind. She yipped a sharp warning. The entire pack dropped prone to the earth. Dorothy jumped with fright as the holographic map illuminated. Two, three, red beams of particle energy ripped through the darkness. <laughs> the lasers slammed into each of the Douglas County A-7 combat drones. The Rottweilers, thought Dorothy. Siegfried and Freya both spat rounds of particle energy from the Toho cannons in their throats as they tore down the hover road towards the crash site. The sheriff's drone closest to the dog's units exploded in a halo of electric fire and sparks. It looked to Dorothy like a stick of dynamite had been detonated inside a piñata. Bits of armored shrapnel, Kevlar, and glass rained down, sprinkling over the asphalt and gravel. Only the heavily armored black box containing the drone's computer core remained. The metal box bounced on the hover road with a dense metallic quack, crack, before skidding to a rest at the shoulder's edge. The second drone, furthest from the Rottweiler's assault vector, managed to evade a direct hit. It was badly damaged, but remained airborne. A deep laser scar sliced through the armor on its starboard flank. The drone wheeled out of control, spinning semicircles, raining sparks through a trail of turquoise smoke that flowed behind it. Siegfried was the first to arrive. His red eyes blazed. Using established momentum, the cyborg leapt six meters into the air and knocked the disabled drone from the sky. He was moving so fast that he nearly missed and was only able to rip out a mouthful of the unit's chassis as inertia carried him past its target skidding down the hoveway. Siegfried tumbled to a stop and was on four paws again in moments. The drone sputtered, then took a crushing nosedive into the nearby field. Its aft worm drive peeled and screamed uselessly. Blue electric smoke from its burning motors billowed into the air. The sound made it seem as though the drone was being tortured, crying, aware of its impending demise. Freya arrived next, running too fast, excited, ready for a fight. She dug her claws into the asphalt, leaving five-meter gouges in the hover road as she ground to a halt and reoriented. The silver muzzle of her retractable Toho cannon gleamed the color of pale bone in the moonlight, still protruding between the rows of teeth from her wide-open jaws. She centered herself, bracing on all fours, then fired again. Her powerful neck recoiled from the energy discharge. The pillar of concentrated, maroon light tore into the fallow cornfield and the second drone disintegrated into a thousand sparky bits of whizzing metal and plastic. Coyote One and her three nearest packmates wasted no time. All four cyborgs, including the animal with the crushed leg, leapt onto Freya's back in a whirlwind of gnashing teeth. They sensed the tactical advantage of the Rottweiler's momentarily unusable jaws. Freya dropped to the hover road, attempting to bury her head and vulnerable vidorbs beneath her chest in a defensive crouch. There was no choice but to wait as the still-smoldering Toho cannon retracted down her throat. She squealed with pain as the coyotes bit fiercely into her shoulders and tore rakes of bleeding bioskin from her body. 
The coyotes yipped with renewed frenzy, excited by the cries of pain, now oblivious to all around but the destruction of vulnerable prey. Strips of Freya's synthetic flesh hung from their jaws as they pressed the attack. Coyote One, always hyper-observant, leapt away at the last second just as Siegfried's jaws snapped shut on the lame back leg of her nearest packmate. With a swift twist of his head, the damaged robotic limb was bitten clean from the animal's chassis and flung into a ditch. Siegfried pinned the broken, crying coyote beneath two paws and with one savage bite engulfed its shrieking head in his mouth. He crushed the titanoloom's skull as if it was made of foam. The coyote unit's blue vidorbs blinked twice unceremoniously, then died. Siegfried flung the trashed body of the cyborg over his shoulder with a single whip of his neck and stood protectively over Freya's crouching form, growling with barbaric fury at Coyote One. Freya stood shakily. Synthetic tangerine red blood oozed over the wounded sections of her bioskin coat. Silver areas of exposed titanoloom infrastructure gleamed in the near-morning light. Unlike her brother, Freya's slightly less advanced design lacked the ability to instantaneously deploy her throat-mounted Toho cannon, fire accurately, then retract the telescoping weapon back into her chassis. For Freya, the process of firing a Toho round and returning her jaws to normal function took approximately 22 seconds. The dogs unit seemed almost cognizant of this personal deficiency as she lunged at Coyote One and angrily pinned the pack leader to the ground. The two coyotes remaining on the hover road yelped in panic. They charged to help their alpha and were immediately intercepted by Siegfried, who tossed one aside like a ragdoll, his jaws partially severing its robotic throat plates. The second coyote froze, then backed off. It whimpered and tucked its ragged gray tail between its legs, cowering in submission beside its deactivated packmate. Freya's growl was deep and steady as she hovered above Coyote One, bearing her knife-like canines at the helpless cyborg's neck. Dorothy felt a pang of guilt. Like a moth to flame, so occupied had she been by the firing of the particle weapons that she had all but forgotten the coyotes attacking the Mustang's emergency collision sphere. There was a human life at stake. Snotra and Lofen were three design versions removed from Siegfried, two from Freya. Both cyborgs were 10 centimeters shorter in length and 5 centimeters shorter in height. Their top gallop speed was 15 to 20 kilometers slower, and with proportionally smaller fusion cores, their overall chassis strength was weaker by a cyborg strength factor of 15%. Neither dog's unit contained integrated particle weapons. They had arrived 20 seconds behind as their big sister and brother engaged the Douglas County A7 Sheriff's drones and fended off Coyote One's initial assault. The coyotes attacking the Mustang's collision sphere were now physically inside its collapsed exterior walls, ripping through the heavier wands of elastiframe. Fortunately for the unconscious pilot within, the fully expanded white balloon was six meters in diameter. Undaunted, the coyotes were furiously biting and clawing at the final reinforced layer of protective balloon fabric. Once inside, a single flick of a claw would dispatch life from the Mustang's pilot. Two black smears of light flew across the wide irrigation ditch at the Hoveway's edge and landed in the winter marijuana field. Outnumbered 14 to 2, Snotra and Lofen engaged. This time, surprise was with the Rottweilers. Only two of the feral cyborgs were physically inside the walls of the collision sphere, chewing their way deeper towards its core with murderous intent. Their excitedly wagging tails protruded from the deflated edge of the sphere like those of forest raccoons rummaging through a camper's tent. 
The remaining twelve cyborgs sat in a tight, circular grouping five meters back, watching intently from a wall of glowing blue eyes. The main group didn't have time to react before Lofen's charging jaws clamped down on the hind legs of the coyote unit deepest inside the sphere, ripping it free. Snotra dragged the second coyote out of the collision sphere, also screaming. Both dogs' units held their prey viciously, pulling the bodies of the raving coyotes into the open field in a cloud of scrabbled dust. The instant they had the smaller cyborgs clear of the sphere, Snotra and Lofen re-established their bite positions. Each crushed the legs trapped between their jaws, then released the damaged, mewling coyotes. The creatures limped free, tails tucked as their dozen packmates descended. Dorothy would never rewatch this portion of the Holovid recording. Snotra and Lofen stood back to back. Their razor-sharpened jaws flashed in wild circles, slashing the muzzles or chest of one coyote as five more ripped shreds of black, shining fur from their bodies. Their advances tore the synthetic flesh more than sliced it. Their bite strength was not sufficient to break the smaller Rottweiler's legs, but their numbers ensured that given enough time, they would be able to keep them pinned down. With enough determination, they would be able to tear and bend their way into the dog's unit's armored chassis and expose vital system components. The coyotes did not lack determination. The dog's units thrashed left and right in a frothing fury as the coyotes continued their assault. Each would cry and briefly retreat as one of the Rottweilers managed to capture a leg, neck, or paw in their jaws. I want fast, precise assaults. William would later estimate that Snotra and Lofen would have made it another 120 seconds before the coyotes shredded all the bioskin from their bodies. At that point, they would begin gnawing, digging at any exposed internal graphene circuitry. William would also estimate that not one of the twelve attacking cyborgs would have walked away without a partially crushed ribcage, broken leg, or shattered vidorb. Dorothy was grateful his hypothesis was never given the opportunity to play out. Four hundred meters off, Snotra and Lofen cried out desperately. Their panicked howls seemed to echo off the moon, mingled with the raging, terrible yips of the coyote pack. Siegfried and Freya waited only seconds before abandoning Coyote One with a final warning snarl. They charged into the marijuana field on the north slope of the hover road. Coyote One snapped to all fours the instant she was released. Despite the fact that the warning had already been distributed across their interstream, she raised her nacreous muzzle to the sky and gave a long, high-pitched howl to the stars. Both warnings arrived too late. Badly damaged units limped to and fro on the sidelines, angrily yipping and gnashing their teeth. Siegfried and Freya charged through the remaining group still attacking Snotra and Lofen. The bodies of the larger dogs' units were four times the size of the outdated, though similarly structured, coyote chassis. They snarled as they raked through the gray, seething mass, knocking the feral cyborgs aside like bowling pins. The Rottweiler's carbide-tipped incisors scoured their ranks, cutting deep into the coyote's already wounded bodies. Coyote One's chilling howl ricocheted off the leafless trunks of nearby trees, commanding retreat. It repeated, filling the night air with a peeling squall. Siegfried and Freya had already come about. They charged once more into the scattering pack, barking and snapping at their heels before at last circling back to Snotra and Lofen. Freya nuzzled her wounded sisters tentatively with her own bloody, tattered nose. The smaller Rottweilers remained huddled against the frozen soil, shredded, traumatized. Siegfried stood over them. His sable bioskin jowls quivered, flashing his enormous teeth at the fleeing coyotes. 
Behind the dogs units lay the deflated white mass of the Ford Mustang's emergency collision sphere. The 14 coyotes who had attacked the sphere regrouped with those still on the hover road. Only Coyote 1 remained completely undamaged. Her glowing vidorb reflected a halo of resentful azure light onto the asphalt of the hoveway. Each of the mingling coyotes sniffed tenderly at the body of their terminated packmate. Then the silent message was transmitted, and they flowed back into a single-file line behind Coyote 1. She led them north, slinking into the darkness of the countryside towards the river from whence they had come. The pack moved slowly. A couple of the coyotes ran on only three legs or dragged a shattered forepaw. The heads of a few swung awkwardly, broken, too low to the ground, their titanolum vertebrae partially smashed and no longer able to provide proper anatomical support. As the last of their number limped into the Jane field, their eyes blinked to darkness, blindly following Coyote One into the chilly, shadowed den of a most unfortunate evening. Dorothy let out a long sigh. She realized that her cheeks were wet with tears. She swallowed the lump in her throat and watched with sad interest as Dax, Hugo, and her husband William at last rolled up in the solar mule. This is why the wheel is antique tech. As soon as they stopped, Dax and Hugo jumped out and skidded down the gravel embankment to inspect the collision sphere. They had to determine the quickest, safest way to extract the operator and vanish before the real danger arrived. Sheriff Dale Proudstar. Joan's voice came over the comm. All firewalls and cloaks presently stable. Two armored hub transports containing 12 Marx-class German shepherds. Two armed deputy field pilots and Sheriff Proudstar will arrive at your location in approximately 5 minutes, 59 seconds. William had jumped off the Kawasaki before it stopped and ran down the hub road shoulder into the field. He ignored the collision sphere and ran to his Rottweilers. All four dogs units sprang to their paws as soon as they saw him. Dorothy was pleased to see that despite looking as though they'd been tossed through a meat grinder, all three of the female cyborgs were able to stand. Lofen was not putting weight on her right hind leg. The cyborg held it, quivering above the ground, exactly like a real wounded dog would. Siegfried paced back and forth in front of his sisters. The large Rottweiler bayed reproachfully at William as he approached. Oh, hell, Sig, I know. Look what they did, said William. He dropped to his knees. His hands hovered above Snowter and Lofen. The majority of the bioskin had been torn off the two dogs' units. Their cybernetic identities were now obvious. Both of Snotra's ears were completely gone, revealing the bloody armored dome of her skull. Micro-pistons and hydraulic joints flitted and shifted visibly as they made the slightest of motions. Most visible was the pink glow emanating from the fusion reactors nestled deep in the center of their torsos. William knew better than to touch the wounds. The dog's unit's autonomic nervous systems would respond, the result of which might be a nip that would unintentionally slice his arm off. Freya carefully licked her sister's torn flesh with her black, ciliary mesh tongue. The synthetic layers of dermal material had long since clotted and stopped bleeding. Though undetectable to the human eye, the bioskin fur was already in the process of hypersynth cell replication. William's voice was cold. Joan, I need systems analysis on Snowtra and Lofen as soon as... Joan's reply was instant. That task was completed 47 seconds ago. Unit AK-9 Civ Epsilon is 100% mechanically functional with damage to 56% of Bioskin's skeletal wrap. Tissue regeneration complete in 9 hours 52 minutes. Unit AK-9 Civ Delta has a crushed tarsus joint in its aft rear leg. 
The femur structure has been dislocated from the pelvis near the graphene ischium. Additionally, there are three caustic tears in the ciliary microweave controlling fine motor simulation servos 9 through 31. 61% of bioskin skeletal wrap on this unit is damaged with cascading fusion light visible to the human eye. Unit AK9 Civ Gamma is 100% mechanically functional with damage to 14% of bioskin housing. Douglas County Law Enforcement Units will arrive in 4 minutes 23 seconds. Immediate egress is strongly recommended. All cloaks presently stable. William stood up and hooked a thumb through his black leather belt. All right, we gotta move. Siegfried, Freya, Snowtra. The dogs' units immediately came to attention, arranging themselves in a line before him. Sig, stay with us. Freya, Snowtra, go now. Run, full speed, two kilometers east on the Hub Road. Leave obvious tracks that vanish to a hard surface. Then backtrack. Land in every direction north of the road belongs to Purple Tree Farms. They have four barn felixes and a couple real cats who might be out chasing moles this time of morning. Joan, you've locked out Purple Tree's private drones? That is correct. One will pass your location in 36 seconds. No human pilots. The unit will pass blind. Excellent. William looked at his Rottweilers again. Freya, you especially absolutely under no circumstances are you to engage those cats. No chasing. Avoid human contact. Run straight to the tree line through the forest to the river. Then follow the river's edge back west under the cover of the trees. Go directly into the barn. Now run, dogs! Freya gave Lofen a parting lick with her black tongue and whined mournfully. Then the two dogs' units rocketed east down the hove road and within seconds were gone. Joan's voice said, William Thomas Angevine, there is no need to speak to the cybernetic units like they are human beings. William tapped the calm dot on his jaw. Joan, I've said, it just makes me feel better. I do not understand how. You are the dog's unit's autonomously chosen tether. Your neural engrams are one. Your thoughts are their thoughts. It's a dead horse conversation, Joan. We'll hash on such later over a codfish and a Jane beer. Right now we got a couple other irons. Agreed. Now is possibly not the optimal time to discuss your verbal inefficiencies, said the dolphin's computerized female tone. William shook his head and turned to his remaining Rottweilers. Sig, on my heels. Lofen, hobble yourself into the back of that mule. I'd carry you if you didn't weigh 500 kilos. Lofen obediently went past the dried-out cattail stalks in the irrigation ditch and up the gravel shoulder of the hove road. Even with a single functioning rear leg, she hopped easily into the rear seat of the Kawasaki. The solar mule rocked and groaned in objection to the added weight. Dorothy's voice came urgently. Hun, you boys got to get the sky out of there. In the distance, they could hear the approaching wail of sheriff's sirens. The faintest hint of dawn's purple light on the horizon was beginning to crowd out the black night sky. William cupped his hand over the comm dot to silence the wind. I hear you. I'm on it. I don't know what's taking so long. Using his Swiss Army pocket laser, Hugo had carefully cut the remaining elastic retention bands from the semi-conscious hubcar pilot's ankle. He got back on his feet as William walked over with Siegfried padding behind him. Dax was still keeping quiet. He held his chin in his hand and stood a couple of meters back, observing the girl inside the emergency collision sphere with keen interest. What's on your mind, Dax Abner? Siegfried walked over to Dax and licked his hand, then took a couple of more steps and peered into the opening Hugo had lasered out of the sphere. The dog's unit tilted his head with curiosity, wondering what might possibly be of such interest to the humans in his pack. William threw his palms open as he walked over, speaking loudly. Well, who is she? We got a float, gentlemen. This road is about to be knee-high in assault cyborgs. 
Hugo grinned like a 12-year-old boy. It's a baby, William. He's real pretty looking, too, he said dreamily. She keeps saying something about crickets or stars or something. She's real pretty looking. Maybe it's something to do with the tattoos on her neck. Back in the aquarium, Dorothy shook her head, turning quickly in her chair to look at the dolphin. Can you believe this crap, Joan? She spun angrily back to the holomap. William Angevine, you pick that girl up if that's what we're doing and get out of there. William looked at Dax. Boss, anything? Dax kept quiet and shook his head pensively. He swirled a finger around and nodded in the direction of the collision sphere, indicating simply to get the girl. William knelt and had a look. Inside the sphere was a bloody mass of a woman, fading in and out of consciousness. She was tangled up in her own matted black hair. Her right arm was broken backwards at the elbow and wrist. A jagged tip of bone poked wretchedly beneath the skin of her forearm. The fingers on that hand were likewise mangled. William reached down and put his arm on her left shoulder. The girl struggled weakly. Her green eyes popped open with fear. William said, Don't try to move. You're safe now. You'll do best to just relax. She managed to respond through cracked, swollen lips, mottled with dry blood. Who are you people? Cops? William spoke calmly. Not exactly, ma'am. He reached his hands carefully behind her back and pulled her body free of the balloon. She let out a sharp cry of agony, digging the nails of her good hand into his neck, then fainted. There was no time for a delicate extraction. Her shattered arm swung awkwardly backwards as he stood with her dead weight. Hugo turned so he wouldn't have to watch, walking briskly to the solar mule. Siegfried jumped backwards, eagerly watching every step William took as he resituated the woman's body in his arms and turned to carry her up the gravel shoulder. William gave Dax a sidelong glance. You know, I'm supposed to be the quiet one, right, boss? Looks like we got a bloody angel flung to us from on high. Dax shook his head again, speaking at last as if he'd snapped out of a trance the moment the girl was safe in William's arms. His voice was quiet, but stern. Quite the contrary, William. I do believe she will prove to be the prophet of war. William frowned and turned away. Dory, what's our ETA on the sheriff and his growlers? Dorothy's voice was curt. Just shy of 180 seconds. Dax snapped his fingers and turned to Hugo, who was looking down from the edge of the hover road. Hugo, ready the Kawasaki. I'm on it, boss. Hugo jumped behind the wheel and spun the solar mule around, loafing whined in the back seat and kept her head low, her damaged leg tucked beneath her body. William dug his boots into the gravel and carried the unconscious woman up the embankment with Siegfried close on his heels. Dax Abner brought up the rear. Once at the top, he nodded. William knew without a word to hand the girl's limp form over to him. Dax took the front seat beside Hugo and held the woman's body delicately in his lap, intently focused on her face and nothing else. William had never seen him look at a woman that way. He turned to Siegfried, still dutifully following his every step. Okay, dog. We're good. Follow your sisters. We'll tend to them in the barn. Run! Siegfried turned and rocketed east down the hover road with a single bark, leaping lightly over the destroyed chassis of the coyote he had crushed in his jaws minutes before. His black form disappeared like a caligonous phantom. William bent the lid of his cowboy hat forward and jumped on the back of the six-wheeled Kawasaki, standing on the cargo platform. He tapped twice on the hard canopy, hanging on with one hand. All right, Hugo. Half a kilom west on the 1500 will cut down through the Jane Fields with lights black. Joan will drop us some camo. The solar mule's electric motor whined and sped them away. 
Dorothy zoomed out her tracking view on the map, watching with a mix of irritation and worry, even as she had calculated that they were going to make it away safely before being seen. Fifty-five seconds later, as the Kawasaki disappeared into the vast darkness of the neighboring Purple Tree Farms' Jane Fields, two armored hub transports crested the ridge of the distant western hill. The vehicle's emergency lights blazed red and blue as their sirens split the morning air. Ten meters in the air above the sheriff's lead transport, four A-7 assault drones flew in a tight formation. Their searchlights reached the crash scene first. The drone's weapon ports were deployed. The lead unit promptly fired six botulinum darts into the motionless carcass of the coyote that lay crushed on the asphalt. They blasted the area with infrared motion detectors and kinesis scans. Their sensor arrays were so finely calibrated as to detect any residual IPv7 trails within a five-kilometer circumference. They buzzed like angered bees, flying in wide circles, scanning and rescanning, recording and re-recording the crash site only. Two minutes later, the armored hub transports floated to a stop and extended their heavy docking mounts. The boots of Douglas County Sheriff Dale Proudstar hit the asphalt. A dozen Marx-class German Shepherd police cyborgs leapt to the ground after him. The animals swarmed over the crash scene, establishing a perimeter. They ran along the hub road with their noses mere centimeters from the ground, analyzing, sniffing, prepared to give chase at the slightest sign of trouble. But there was no trouble to be found. Sheriff Proudstar chewed on the soft tip of a well-smoked antique cigar which smoldered beneath his long, silvering mustache. He adjusted a black-rimmed monocle hood glass to one side of his nose with irritation. He was a large man, with a heavy, grizzled jaw like a cinder block. The weak 5 a.m. light was barely strong enough to cast a pale shadow behind him as he strode down the hub road, methodically taking in the details of the scene. He stopped above the mangled carcass of the dead coyote, running his toe over the deep claw gouges in the asphalt. He raised his nostrils and exhaled dual plumes of cigar smoke, squinting sternly across the fallow fields. Then he turned, slow, and studied the shredded collision sphere in the smoldering crater where the second drone had been destroyed. Mm, Military-grade particle weapons. Beside the dead coyote was the square black box belonging to the first destroyed drone. He picked it up and brushed off the carbon scarring, watching as the tiny pieces of ash flitted away in the wind. The Marks dogs ran to and fro. Those not piloted by deputy board drivers in the lead transport had reverted to their default algorithms and were patrolling the perimeter of the crash site like robots. A small red diode on Sheriff Proudstar's HUD monocle illuminated green, and he frowned, then tapped his jaw and barked. Proudstar! Hell, look who it is, ten minutes too late. Congratulations on getting your sorry ass out of bed, Everquist. How stone were you last night, son? Jesus Mary, tell me you've got something, because I got nothing out here but my cock swinging in the wind. After listening for a moment, the sheriff's mustache contorted with anger. Are you kidding me? Nothing? On the entire fucking scan spectrum. How is that possible? Who? Fine. Tell MTF they can mitts about out here till the cows start sucking their own tits for all I care. Shit. Huh? Yeah, I found one drive. Bringing it in after we finish our sweep. The sheriff nudged the dead coyote with his boot. Yeah, it's a coyote. Oh, for dog's sake, don't wet your panties, deputy. We'll bring it in, too. Whatever you do, Everquist, keep our comms locked. I want to get first poke at this thing before the feds descend on my ass like a bad case of scabies. Proud star out. The sheriff tapped his comm butt again. 
All right, deputies, dial the marks unit scans to molecular. Form them up in a line on the road, and we're going to march. Scan this whole scene slow. If they find so much as a hamster's cunt hair, I want a klaxon. Let's try and float home with something beside dumbass looks on our faces. Sheriff Proudstar pulled out a fresh cigar from a case in his pocket, bit off the end, lit it with an antique Zippo lighter, and took a long, steady pull. He watched the German shepherds form up 50 meters down the hove road and begin slowly stepping his way, swinging their heads side to side in unison. Fucking cyborgs. Overhead, one of their A7 drones flew, hovering in a wide semicircle. He looked up at the drone and glowered, blowing out a blue stream of smoke as he spoke under his breath. Only thing worse than a Borg is a robot. Then he kicked the lifeless form of the coyote in front of him with his boot and walked off in the direction of the destroyed collision sphere. As the solar mule rolled into the barn, William jumped from the back and depressed a manual button on the wall, closing the heavy wooden garage door behind them. All three Rottweilers had already arrived, paws wet and muddy from their journey along the river's edge. They surrounded the Kawasaki and mule and whined as Lofen hobbled down onto the asphalt barn floor with a yip of pain. They licked her face enthusiastically, all four dogs' units lay down in a line and watched the humans with undue interest. Dorothy emerged from a green door at the far side of the barn and ran across the vaulted open space to her husband, wrapping him up in her arms. Jesus, William, Jesus, don't you ever do that again. The couple held one another, exchanging kisses. At last, Dorothy let her husband go, wiping her tears on his warm core and turning to Dax Abner as he carried the mangled, unconscious girl past. She made no effort to conceal the relieved sarcasm in her voice. Hey, boss, nice Betty. Oh, by the way, you do realize mapping intel on cyborg warfare wasn't in my job description? Got any pumpkins? Need a DNA tweak? Dorothy smiled geekily at her own joke, expecting one of her employer's usual quips. But Dax remained silent. His eyes were fixed on the woman in his arms, and her alone. It was as if the rest of the world had ceased to exist. Dorothy deflated. She frowned at Hugo, demanding an answer. Hugo merely pursed his lips and shrugged, unable to give any. He tossed his orange skullcap on the seat of the mule and ambled away towards the green door she had just appeared from with an unlit joint dangling from the corner of his mustache. Dorothy turned to her husband as Dax disappeared the other direction, carrying the girl out of the barn and across the yard to the large white farmhouse where they all lived. What's all that about? she asked. William shook his head. Hell if I know. He's been acting weird ever since Joan lit a ping on that Betty. That's back when she was still busy stealing the Mustang. William shrugged and put an arm around his wife. He didn't say a word to us the whole time we were out there. You and Joan would have heard as much. Dorothy looked out the barn door after Dax, longing to understand. She shook it off and turned back to her husband with a tired smile. Well, babe, as long as you're okay, I'm okay. She looked at the Rottweilers lying beside one another in a tight row. Let's get the ladies downstairs and let Joan have a closer scan, see what's really broke. With that, Dorothy and her husband, William Thomas Angevine, walked across the asphalt floor towards the green door on the far side of the cold, cavernous barn. A wild country pigeon fluttered from one wooden barn rafter to the next above them, though they did not look up. William gave an exhausted whistle as they shuffled past the Rottweilers. The dogs' units stood together, padding after them sadly, with an outward expression of fatigue it was theoretically impossible for them to possess. Siegfried brought up the rear. He trailed his sister Lofen as she went behind the humans. 
The exposed titanolume on one of Lofen's paws tink-clicked and tink-clicked, tink-clicked on the asphalt as she stepped. One by one, this family of man and of cyborgs passed through the plain green wooden door, its faded paint peeling in places. Far above, via a port in the barn's east wall, their own black oval security drone B entered. The egg-shaped robot hovered slowly, flying parallel to the barn's roofline. It dropped into its docking nest, high in the shadows, with a pneumatic hiss. Then the barn was quiet and empty once more, save the occasional flutter of pigeon wings amongst the rafters. This concludes Chapter 1.10 of The Eighteenth Shadow, Phase 1, Dawn of the Courtesan. Please visit johnleegraftonbooks.com to sign up for the 18th Shadow mailing list. On johnleegraftonbooks.com, you can also download the free digital box set, containing the first three books in the six-part series. The free box set is available in Kindle format, as well as Smashwords, Kobo, and Barnes & Noble Nook. Remember, citizens, Kindle isn't just a thing. It's a free app you can put on your phone to start reading the 18th Shadow box set today. Prefer paperback like it's 1981? Visit Prospero's Books at 1800 West 39th Street in Kansas City, Missouri, where every phase of the 18th Shadow is available built of glue, ink, and compressed dead trees, the way books were meant to be read by real North Americans. Until next time, this is your author and narrator, John Lee Grafton, reminding you to spay and neuter your pets. And remember... If it's not cannabis, kids, don't smoke it. This has been a public service announcement of the 18th Shadow Radio. For more information, please visit johnleegraftonbooks.com.